Greeny with Mike Greenberg, the podcast. Last night showed you once again that it is all, all, all about pitching and trying to win championships. It is Greeny on ESPN Radio and on the ESPN app as well as your smart speaker. We are presented by Progressive Insurance. 888-SAY-ESPN is the telephone number to be a part of the show. 888-729-3776. Last night, we saw once again... As much as there has been great talk about the dynamic player that Juan Soto is and the idea that the Yankees should be involved on him, which they absolutely should be, that ultimately this is going to be about starting pitching. And we saw last night on the other side why it's about that. Think about the Yankee teams over the years that have won championships. They have had guys who have been thoroughly reliable that you could turn to. You knew when you handed them the ball that you were going to have a great chance to win the game. Let's talk about last night. Two huge situations. Max Scherzer against Aaron Judge. Aaron Judge should be the MVP in the American League this season. The guy has been absolutely ridiculous in every way. Yet Scherzer in both spots struck him out. And frankly, in his uh, the second of the two big at-bats in the seventh inning, made him look a little bit feeble with the swing. Made him look pretty bad in that situation. So as we move forward here, we know that Luis Castillo is on the Yankees' radar. I do wonder where their tolerance level with giving up prospects is going to be for Luis Castillo. Hembo is here with us as well. Nuno is here. The hashtag crew, of course, in the building. And so I put this to you, Hembo, as a huge baseball fan that you are and as knowledgeable as you are about baseball. When you look at what the Yankees have with Volpe, with Peraza, with Jason Dominguez, it's clear that if you're trying to get Castillo, who is under control for one more year as well, keep that in mind, it's going to cost you a minimum of one of those guys. Mm -hmm. I would think, I would think that one of them would have to be in a deal. Should that keep Brian Cashman from making that kind of a deal? It should not. Prospects will break your heart. Brian Cashman has a better sense of what those players are likely to become than anybody but he should absolutely be willing to trade one of them for Luis Castillo for the reason you said. Having Luis Castillo for the last two months of the regular season and then hopefully pitching well for you throughout the playoffs is a big reason why you trade for him now, obviously. But you're trading for Luis Castillo for 40 or 45 starts, and that is worth a lot to your franchise. Look, I love prospects as much as the next guy, but even the surefire prospects across baseball often don't turn into the players you hope or expect. The Yankees have an opportunity to win the World Series this year and next year. They're an outstanding team with just a few flaws. Those players that you just mentioned that most people haven't even heard of aren't going to impact your chances to win the World Series this year or next. And the thing that you know is that Luis Castillo is a top 10 arm in the sport right now and has the kind of swing and miss stuff that plays up in the postseason. They should absolutely be willing to trade one of those guys for Luis Castillo. Now, you've got a history with the Yankees over the last several years that when they have traded away top prospects, it has become just that. They haven't been the guys. Nobody is better at hyping their prospects than the Yankees. Nobody. But Mm -hmm. there is. I, I don't know that right now I would be willing to include Volpe, but one of the other two, 
I have to be willing to do that. I have to be willing to get somebody who is a difference maker right away. And I, I think this is really going to tell us a lot about what Hal Steinbrenner is about. Mm. Is he going to be willing to take uh, Castillo, the money he's going to cost next year, and and where they are in terms of how hyped they are about these guys? To go and do that and, and to go over the top. It's something that his father obviously never had any regard for, but he has shown himself to be much more conservative. Nuno, given the Yankees' history with prospects and the fact that so many of them that they have traded away have actually not turned out to be very good, are you willing to part with one of those top three in a deal to get Luis Castillo? Well, obviously, Volpe is the guy that's going nowhere, right? Uh, it feels like the it, Volpe it, is the one that they will not do. Correct. So the question becomes, how much do you have to give up? Because just reading articles from guys, you know, uh, insiders and things of that nature, they feel like a team like the Dodgers is more is probably the favorite to land the Castillo because of the stuff that they can give. So it feels like it's going to cost you one of those three um, shortstops that they have. And then a lot more to it. I just don't know if Cashman is willing to pull the trigger and then turn around and give up that much, or if he just focuses on uh, Frankie Montas from uh, uh, from the A's because it would probably be cheaper to get. He, he, he might be cheaper to get. I would not want to sleep on the fact that at least and Montas has pitched in a postseason too a little bit. Neither one has exactly been there year in and year out, mm-hmm. but. Castillo feels like the more surefire guy. He feels like the guy that when you hand him the ball, you're not going to worry. You're going to feel pretty secure in what you are running out there. It's not like the Yankees will be trying to go the old opener route once again in the playoffs. No doubt. And I honestly feel, this might be a stretch, but I honestly feel that the success of Derek Jeter and Mariano Rivera has sort of informed the way that the Yankees manage their farm system for the Mm -hmm. last 20 years. Because... Mercifully, they elected not to trade those guys when they were both consider when they were considering trading both of them at different points while they were still prospects, and they turned out to be you know first ballot Hall of Famers. But those guys are the exception. For every Derek Jeter, there's a Jesus Montero, right? Those guys are way more common. Yep. So in life, it's just better. You're better off dealing in the things that you know. You know that Luis Castillo is a one. You know that for sure, and you know that he'll be on your team this year and next year. I view prospects as currency, and when you're a team that can win now like the Yankees can, they should view it that way as well. Chris Carlin in for Greeny on ESPN Radio, coming to you live from the Seaport District, Pier 17, brought to you by Chase. They did make the move late last night for Andrew Benintendi, the outfielder from the Royals, in exchange for three prospects. What's very interesting here is if you're driving around thinking, well, he's not vaccinated, he can't go to Canada, there have been several reports now that Benintendi has told people that he will get vaccinated. I don't know that to be true. Again, those are just reports that have been out there. But you would think if the Yankees are giving up three prospects to get him, they cannot roll the dice that they would not have that guy in their lineup going to Toronto for a postseason series. No doubt. Uh, This guy just... He just missed a series in Toronto like two or three weeks ago with Kansas City, right? Mm-hmm. Right. So this is something that the Yankees have to know for sure. And while I do think this is a, a good move for them, like he makes them, I would say, marginally better. Benintendi is not going to be a difference maker in the playoffs. In other words, he's not going to be the difference between winning or losing a game or most definitely a series. 
Luis Castillo could. That guy's still the apple of my eye. He helps them a little bit because what this is is an admission that Joey Gallo was a failure, of course. But to me, Benintendi should just be the appetizer for Luis Castillo. And here is Aaron Boone last night uh, after the news started to break that the Yankees could be getting Benintendi for their lineup. And of course, he has him on his way to Cooperstown. Fake news that we have too many power hitters, too many sluggers. That's fake. We got we got savages in the lineup and really good hitters. Ben Attendee's a great hitter. Gets on base at a really high clip, hits from the left side, so yeah, gives you some balance. So if 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 we get him, that's that's another really good big league hitter to add to the mix that's going to lengthen out a lineup and potentially give you that balance you look for. So um, if we get him, I'll be excited to write his name. Uh, Benintendi is a good player that is having a great year, hitting at 320. And as far as on base, yeah, he does a pretty good job of getting on base. You know, this year he's at right at about 400, but years past, it's usually 100 points higher than mm-hmm. his batting average. Yeah, this is this is a player who, unlike Joey Gallo, will put the ball in play, keep the line moving, right? But there's also a very big difference between hitting 320, playing entirely meaningless games in Kansas City, than playing meaningful games with the Yankees. The Red Sox traded Andrew Benintendi for something like 50 cents on the dollar for reasons we still don't really know. They didn't love him. They didn't love the profile. They didn't love his future. Sure, he's having a great season now, but I'll tell you what, I would be stunned if he hit 320 for the Yankees the rest of the season, wouldn't you? I absolutely would be stunned, but I think he will help them. I absolutely. I don't think he's going to come here and fold under the pressure. That's fair. There, there is one thing, though, that I he, do want to... Again, most important thing, he's not Joey Gallo. He's not Joey Gallo. And look, we're all going to be thrilled that we don't have to watch Joey Gallo hit in big moments against Edwin Diaz for the rest of the season. However, or at least stand in the batter's box as opposed to hit. There is one thing I think we're worth pushing back on when it comes to what Aaron Boone just said. Aaron, uh, Andrew Benintendi does provide the Yankees what I'll call more run-scoring diversity. What I mean by that is, this season, 52.4% of the Yankees' runs have come on the home run. Yeah. 52%. No other team in the sport's higher than even 50. So there is one way and one way only that the Yankees can generate a high volume of runs. Andrew Benintendi, not a power hitter, a 320 hitter, at least at the moment. He does provide them some left-handed punch and a way to score runs that does not rely upon the home run. Ball. And look, you can call it fake news if he wants. It's been a concern for the last several years for the Yankees. It, it just has. It is Chris Carlin in for Greeny on ESPN Radio and on ESPN Plus. We are presented by Progressive Insurance. Get renter's insurance to protect the things that make your place a home, including coverage for theft and damage. Visit Progressive.com. Later in the hour, 20 minutes from now, the head coach of the Notre Dame Fighting Irish, Marcus Freeman, and star defensive end Isaiah Foskey are going to join us in studio but up next hey it's a soundbite from Aaron Rodgers we just know we just know he's going to be insufferable this year even more so than ever before you'll hear the latest from Aaron Rodgers next Greeny on ESPN radio Greeny the podcast for the ones who get it done, Granger offers high-quality supplies and solutions for every industry, as well as access to product specialists who have the knowledge and experience to answer your toughest questions. Plus, their commitment to being your safety partner can help you keep your facility safe and your people safer. Call clickgranger.com or just stop by.
Hi, it's Mike Greenberg letting you know ESPN Bet is ready to take you through all the biggest sports moments this spring. The official sportsbook of ESPN has exclusive offers and markets from Scott Van Pelt, Stephen A. Smith, and me, plus many more. From the playoff intensity to finally getting out to the ballpark, there's no better time for sports fans. Sign up today. New users get a bet reset up to $1,000 in bonus bets if your first bet doesn't win. Download ESPN Bet today. What a play. Must be 21 plus and present in select states. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Terms and conditions apply. See app for details. This podcast is proud to be supported by Jets Pizza, the number one pick in Detroit-style pizza. Why? It's simple. Jets is better. With the thickest, crispiest, cheesiest Detroit-style pizza in the country, there's no competition. Right now, get $5 off any eight-corner pizza with code 8SAVE. That's the number eight, S-A-V-E. Go to jetspizza.com to learn more and find a location near you. Again, try Jets' signature eight-corner pizza and get $5 off with code 8SAVE. That's the number eight, S-A-V-E. Jets Pizza. Better because it has to be. Previously on Greeny. You need to afford yourself the opportunity to have the largest sample size possible in order to evaluate Hurts. Even if they're losing. Even if they're losing. Jalen Hurts has to be allowed to play the entire season so you can have an answer on whether he is or is not your guy and then chart a path forward. That's your weekly rewind brought to you by Dell. For your small business needs, call a Dell Technologies advisor today at 877-ASK-DELL. Listen, I totally disagree with Canty on this. If you get to the middle of the season and it's clear that the Eagles are a good enough team outside of what Jalen Hurts is doing, if Hurts is having a bad first half of the year, I fully believe you'll see Gardner Minshew. Mm. I absolutely think you will. Because, uh, listen, remember the Minshew started a game last year. Granted, it was against the Jets, but he looked great. And they also, they did the right thing with Hurts when they, and Chris talked about this yesterday. I actually did that Jets-Eagles game last year on ESPN Radio. And the Eagles were a much different team in terms of running the football in the second half of the year because they actually, you know, did it as opposed to before. So do you believe if, do you think Jalen Hurts gets the whole year no matter what? Yes, I think Jalen Hurts gets the whole year no matter what. Because even if he doesn't take a step forward as a passer, you know you're going to have a top five run game because he's an incredibly valuable weapon in that respect. And he can throw the ball to A.J. Brown now instead of Jalen Rager. You just throw those passes to him instead of him. But, the, but these are the things I'm talking about. Like if he's not playing great, I don't know that the Eagles are going to want to punt on a season. I don't know how a se- how, if, how uh, you know fan base is going to feel about that just to keep to... Keep him out there so that you can get your answer on him. No, but Gardner Minshew is just a a high-end backup. It's not like, I I don't believe that anybody in Philadelphia truly thinks he would provide them a better chance to win. No, no, but at at some point during the season, if it's not going well, let's just say for, you know, sake of the argument that the Eagles end up in their first 10 games and they are four and six. Somehow in their first 10 games. Mm-hmm. And Jalen Hurts is the clear reason why. They're not going to 
pull the plug on it and try to save the season to make the playoffs? That could be, but I think you could probably say that about a dozen different quarterbacks in the sport, though. The offense functioned at a top five level for like half of the season last year because they designed it around Jalen Hurts' yeah. running ability. Well, that was the smart thing that they did. I think it is likely that he takes a step forward, if not just because of experience and better in a better environment around him, then he tanks the season. To me, that would be very unlikely because that's an excellent roster. I'm actually a big Jalen Hurts guy. Uh-huh. I do believe in what he can do, and I think he will be the answer for them. But just remember one thing. They're not sold either. Because they have positioned themselves to make sure that they can get one next year if they need to. They're not sold either, but I think Jalen Hurts is not going to be a regular season problem. Jalen Hurts' shortcomings are going to manifest in the playoffs like it did last year against Tampa and like in the past Lamar Jackson's have in the playoffs. That, I think, is a better comparison than him being some potential backup at the end of the season. That would strike me as unlikely so long as he's healthy. It's Chris Carlin in for Greeny today on ESPN Radio. Hembo is with us. Of course, Nudo and the Hashtag crew with us as well. Aaron Rodgers doing Aaron Rodgers things. Mm. First, he looks like Nick Cage and Con Air showing up at camp. And then yesterday was asked about going from Devontae Adams to Alan Lazard in his wide receiving, wide receiving core. I mean, it's always tough going from Hall of Fame to Hall of Famer. <laughs> uh, you know, from Devontae to, to Alan, it's going to be, uh, you know, a transition. But he's capable of a lot. And the way things have gone with the reps and... The guys that we've had here and the targets that we've uh, we've you know doled out. He hasn't had a ton of opportunities, but he, you know, he's since his first day here, he's he's turned heads. I don't know if that's a shot at Devontae Adams or that's just him joking around, which he may have been, or it's him actually saying something to pump up his guy. Alan Lazard had forty catches last season, and he played in fifteen games. Can we not get nuts about what Alan Lazard is? Can we at least acknowledge? I know you, you're never going to say something negative about your t- teammates, but you can do it in the proper context of what you are losing in Devontae Adams and now having to turn to as a primary option. Look, to me, the Packers, you better hope Christian Watson is a guy right out of the gate. You better hope that that's the case. And that's asking a lot. I think we are, in some sense, though, missing the forest through the trees because it is obvious, and I don't think anybody in their right mind would dispute, that Aaron Rodgers is going to miss Devontae Adams. He had become the best wide receiver in the sport. However, if there is anything Aaron Rodgers has proven, it is that he elevates those around him. And though he will not win the MVP without Devontae Adams, I think him having an excellent season is still very much on the list of options. And... I also think the Packers are pretty much better in every other phase. They've drafted five defensive players in the first round since 2019. They have perhaps the best two-headed monster at running back in the sport. This team could be better despite not having Devontae Adams because the differential between the rest of the roster this year and last year is larger than that drop-off between Adams and Lazard. That's my two cents. All right. Let me pull back the curtain for a second. You lost me about halfway through. Why is that? Because I looked down on my screen after Nuno said, hey, look at your screen. And I started reading what he put on my screen. And I got angry. Aaron Rodgers was asked by reporters yesterday where he gets his motivation currently. Here's a quote. Love, probably. Just tapping into the love of the game. Love of my teammates. 
You know, that's that's what gets me up in the morning, coming in here and loving what I do and having gratitude for this opportunity, because at some point the ride's going to be over. So enjoying every step of the way. Obviously, you know, we want to win a Super Bowl and individual accolades are great. But being in present in the moment, I think, is really important, especially for an older player, because each moment is just a little bit more special. Um, shut up! <laughs> just shut up! You are the worst. You are officially the worst. $50 million a year. No acknowledgement of that contract that gets you up in the morning. Dear God, shit, I, this is what I was talking about. I hadn't even seen this until two minutes ago. It is going to be an insufferable year with Aaron Rodgers. Insufferable. Every week, this this attention clown is going to poke us in the shoulder and do his little clown dance with his big feet and show us all how enlightened he is. Oh, my God. <sighs> Nuno. Seriously? You had to put that on the screen? I, I saw it. I'm like, oh my it, God. it adds to the story of just how insufferable it is. But the worst part, the best slash worst part is that every week, whether it's um, he's sitting at his locker or when he's sitting with our fr- uh, you know, friend of the show, Pat McAfee, and saying these weird things, like it's going to be a story and it's, you're going to have these reactions constantly. <sighs> I. I don't know how I'm going to make it through the year. I really don't. Like, it's my job to watch and listen to this guy. It's my job. And I I love my job. It's not even a job, but he is turning it into a job. (laughs) Come on. Please. It's love. It's love. is is there a bigger fraud than Aaron Rodgers? <laughs> I'll tell you what. I'll tell you what. I think the Packers are going to be pretty good this year, and if they are, and if he's really good this year with uh, with uh, Alan Lazard as his one, he will make us remember that every single yeah, game. It's going to be a win. very memorable division ga- divisional round exit once again <laughs> for the Packers after a spectacular spectacular regular season. Other bit of news, and there is some breaking news today, actually, in the NFC that is not great news for the Tampa Bay Buccaneers because center Ryan Jensen was carted off the field with a left knee injury this morning. Todd Bowles said that he injured his knee. He expected to learn more about the severity of the injury later Thursday, but it's obviously never good when you are carted off, and that defensive line has been completely over... Offensive line, excuse me, has been completely over Called Ali Marpet retired. Remember, uh, in the interior of that line, they signed Shaq Mason from the Patriots. Where has the trouble for Tom Brady always been when he has trouble? Pressure up the middle, mm. right in his face. Keep an eye on that injury today. We move from the pros to the Notre Dame Fighting Irish. Their head coach, Marcus Freeman and their defensive end star, Isaiah Foskey. Join us in studio next. Carlin in for Greeny on ESPN Radio. Greeny, the podcast. 
Star defensive end Isaiah Foskey going to join us in studio. It's Chris Carlin in for Greeny on ESPN Radio and on ESPN+. Plus. Now, a couple of tweets just want to bring you into from Buster Olney that have come in the last few minutes in regards to the trade deadline. We've spoken a lot today about Luis Castillo with the Reds, but where he could end up. So take this from Buster because nobody is more locked in on Buster than what's going on here. This is the first tweet. There's been some speculation in the industry that the Reds might choose to hang on to Luis Castillo, but talent evaluators say Thursday morning that Cincinnati is proceeding as if full steam ahead in the process of trading the All-Star, widely viewed as the best available starter. As of Thursday morning, some rival executives perceive the Padres to be the front runner to land Juan Soto, and as of last night, The Giants continue to convey to other teams that they aren't sellers, and at the moment they intend to hang on to Carlos Rodon, Jock Peterson, those guys who are a couple of free agents, and given their recent slide, people have been checking in on San Francisco. The Giants have absolutely fallen off the table uh, over the last week and a half or so, and you would think uh, in the National League West it's going to be harder and harder to try to fight for that wild card spot. Now on Castillo... Whenever you hear the idea that a team may hang on to a player like Castillo near the deadline, it usually is just a way of signaling that we're not getting a good enough offer yet to get him. And you need to up your offers in order to get him. And look, the Reds are, we know, are in a full rebuild position right now. They have to maximize everything they can Uh, in exchange for Luis Castillo when you are trading away a guy like that who also still has a year of control under him. The Padres getting Juan Soto, can you just imagine what that lineup looks like for a moment with Juan Soto, Fernando Tatis Jr., and Manny Machado at the top of the lineup? I mean, that is just off the charts. And, And granted, you know, Blake Snell hasn't been exactly what the Padres would have hoped for Uh, since he came over from Tampa, but you have that kind of offense as much as we talk about pitching winning. You have that kind of offense. It would be awfully difficult to bet against the Padres at that point. Uh, I'll tell you, the Soto thing over the next three to four days is going to be absolutely fascinating to watch, and the ultimate package for Soto is going to be fascinating to watch because it does feel like the Padres may have the best, best chance to get him. We've been talking a lot of NFL because football season is upon us, but college football is even closer right now. It is Chris Carlin in for Greeny on ESPN Radio and on ESPN+. Plus. One of the great stories of the offseason, Marcus Freeman getting the head coaching job at Notre Dame after Brian Kelly left. He, of course, coached the bowl game against Oklahoma State, and now... He is the man, the former defensive coordinator, who steps into the head coaching job, and he is joined with us here on set by Isaiah Foskey, the outstanding defensive end. Gentlemen, we appreciate a few minutes. How are we doing? Doing well, doing Doing well. Great. Thanks for having us. Well, we appreciate you coming by. And and first of all, Coach, what has this been like for you, the transition into being the head coach into the offseason? Because I... I imagine when you're the interim coach going into a bowl game, it's a little like a fire hose in your face right away. So how has that transition gone for you? It's been great. You know, as you said, all of a sudden you go from being a defense coordinator to the head coach. You're trying to figure out what office to go to to prepare a team for a bowl game. And and, now I'm kind of settled in. And and 
again, it's about preparing your players to have success. And so the same things that make you a successful defense coordinator will be the same things that make you a successful head coach. And obviously the hard work and preparation in turn, hopefully these young men are reaching their goals. And it certainly helps out when Isaiah Foskey decides to come back. And after a season like he had last year with 11 sacks and strict more importantly, six strips. Uh, first of all, the decision for you to come back and play another year at Notre Dame. Um, you were one of those big names around the draft, so give us a sense about what made that decision for you. Well, the biggest thing is just losing that game against Oklahoma State just left a bad taste in my mouth. And I already knew Coach Freeman's going to be the head coach. I just wanted to come back and win a championship. I, I feel like this team could be, could be the team that won a national championship. And another reason is just my mom. She told me to come back for another year. <laughs> I didn't graduate yet. I'm about to graduate in December. So she told me to come back for another year. And just I, I can retire her and just make her life a lot more easier. How has he been different so far as a head coach as opposed to your coordinator? He actually not that much different. Like, I feel like when he was going to be head coach, he's going to be like a little bit like not that like involved with everybody but like yeah. he's just always involved with everything not all up in your business all the time no he, he is though <laughs> like a little bit <laughs> no yeah, but it's good coaches, a, little personal, no doubt. a little personal though but I, I, everyone loves it everyone loves it uh, let's talk about you know notre dame and what the tradition of this job means to you to get this opportunity well, it's a great reminder of the privilege you have, right? And you're not taking over a program um, that was struggling. You're taking over a program that when you took over was fifth in the country. And uh, it, it's a, just a continuous reminder of the, the standards that have been set and put in place. And you know what? I'm here to try to enhance the things we've done, right? And it's a great challenge. And so with great young people, with a great staff, uh, we'll have a chance to reach the personal goals that we all have. You know, it, it's interesting because – when you have places that have immense tradition like Notre Dame, there is the balance, too, of, like you said, enhance, but also, I don't know if modernize is the right word, but I, I just saw the video this morning that you guys did to promote the Shamrock Series game in Vegas. And if you haven't seen it online, by all means do it. I'll tweet it out here in a few minutes that uh, they did with the Golics out in the desert, and it was basically a takeoff on the hangover. Things like that, I mean, are, are things yeah. I think that you would have to do to try to, you know, enhance it, as you put it. Yeah, I think the ability to get outside your comfort zone, right? And, and listen, there, I have no aspirations of being an actor, and, and I never <laughs> thought that would, I would be out in, in Las Vegas doing a hangover parody, but, but – if it's going to help our program and it's going to help enhance it, let's do it. And to have it, to be able to do it with Isaiah Foskey and Michael Mayer, and, and we got a great uh, media team, Fighting Irish Media with Notre Dame. They, they put together a great plan. Uh, it was a lot of fun to do that. It is very, very funny with the Golics in, involved in it. Uh, how much fun was that for you to go out there and shoot that? And you're in the middle of the desert all of a sudden. <laughs> no, it was a lot of fun. Like Coach Freeman said, I didn't have no aspiration to being an actor, but I felt like we put it, we put it together pretty well. Yeah. He was acting a little bit, did a little improv. Yeah, he got a chance to yell. He got a chance to yell at me a couple of times, and I almost looked over and said, "Hold on now." You know I, mean? I guess it was a part of the I did enjoy the end of it when you know you're doing the whole three best friends that anyone can have, and you're like, "Hang on a second, I'm your head coach. I'm not your best friend." That was pretty good. It's Marcus Freeman, the head coach of Notre Dame, along with Isaiah Foskey. Isaiah, what made the biggest difference for you to make the jump in productivity last year? And how will that translate for you this year to have a big season? Uh, going into last year, I was really just trying to perfect my pass rush, and that's what basically everyone saw throughout the last season. Well, with me, just really getting to the quarterback. That's what I was really focusing on. But this year, just 
become an all-around defensive end. Everyone saw I can get to the quarterback, but I want to be able to set the edge and stop the run, get more tackle for losses, just become an all-around defensive end. Coach, for you, you're going to open up against Ohio State. And uh, just in, in reading a little bit more about your background, the effect that Jim Tressel has had for you, um, you played for him, of course, at Ohio State as a linebacker. What will it mean to you to not only line up in that, your second game as a head coach against your alma mater, but also just knowing the effect that it's had on you in your coaching journey? Yeah, the the memories I have of my five years in Columbus, Ohio, and then I, I spent a year as a, a GA there um, are tremendous. And, and I wouldn't be in this position if it wasn't for that, you know. But, you know, I, at September 3rd, it's going to be about this team and this program and, and to – take these group of young people into a hostile environment and versus a great um, competitive, competitive uh, opposition is, is something that we all thrive for. We're all competitors, right? I wouldn't be in this, this, this profession if I wasn't a competitor. And so we want a chance to compete against the best. And uh, we look forward to that showdown on September 3rd. How much tape have you watched on CJ Stroud already? I've watched a lot already. On both of the tackles too. We just yeah. I'm pretty much trying to perfect my craft, see the weaknesses, see the strengths, and just go off of that. You know, as you're preparing for a season like this, coming off of last year, what's going through your mind in terms of the league? Because there was a decision to be made last year, and not just trying to do everything you can to be better for Notre Dame, but to be better as a football player. Yeah, last year was hard just to keep my mind just on football and being real present, like where I'm at, but. This year, I'm just going to do the same process, be real present day by day, game by game, just be, just go at each game, try to be the best I can be, and everything else is going to fall into place. Marcus Freeman, head coach at Notre Dame. Isaiah Foskey with us. That was Isaiah, the defensive end. I got two last ones for you, coach, and that is uh, the two big questions that you're getting all the time right now. Number one, how has NIL affected your recruiting, affected everything that goes with being a head coach? For us, it's been nothing but positive. And um, the ability to show recruits how our players, like Isaiah Foskey, are maximizing off of their name, image, and likeness has been great for us. And, and as I continue to tell the recruits in our current team, the better player you are, the more opportunities you're going to have. Isaiah Foskey has a lot of opportunities because he's a really good football player. And so continue to focus on how to improve as a player, and these name, image, and likeness opportunities will come. And so it's been nothing but positive. And, uh, you know, with our brand – with being Notre Dame football, you know, this, the, the chance to associate with some of the biggest brands in the country, um, I don't know if there's a better opportunity out there. How much have you been able to capitalize on it? I feel like I have a lot of opportunities. I pick and choose what I really should do. But like Coach Freeman was saying, just Notre Dame, everyone wants to be part of that Notre Dame community, part of Notre Dame family. So just whoever comes to Notre Dame, they will be part of that. Everyone, All businesses want to be part of Notre Dame. And last one is obviously Notre Dame and the idea of potentially joining a conference full-time. You're obviously uh, involved with the ACC right now, all of the realignment that we have seen. What do you see in the future for the Fighting Irish? I've been asked this question a couple times. Yeah, I would think so. (laughs) (laughs) Um, Listen, we are uh, extremely happy with our independence. Um, You know, our program, the football program at Notre Dame has been built on that. You know, back to when Jesse Harper and, and to Newton Rockneys and, 
you know, when the program was really starting to, to rise, we were playing a, a national schedule versus teams from coast to coast. And, and that's where our foundation has been built. And we'll continue to do that as long as we're in a position to have success. As long as we're not hurting our program or our university financially or, or in terms of making the playoffs, anything like that, we'll continue to try to be independent. And, and, and I'll just lean on our, our you know, our presidents and, and our, our athletic directors to make those decisions. But uh, I think we feel like we're in a really good position right now. Isaiah, congratulations on success last year. What lies ahead? Have a great season. Thank you for coming by. Thank you. And, Coach, we really appreciate it. Thank you. Best of luck this year with the Fighting Irish. Everybody's looking forward to the Ohio State game in Columbus coming up uh, very at the start off your season. That's a heck of a way to start. <laughs> it sure is. We've got to get back to work, no doubt about it. Appreciate it, Coach. Thank you. Thank you. Marcus Freeman, head coach at Notre Dame, along with Isaiah Foskey, outstanding defensive end, joining us in studio. It's Chris Carlin in for Greeny today on ESPN Radio, presented by Progressive. Insurance. If you're on the go, you might be skipping eating the healthy way, which probably is making you feel a little bit more sluggish these days. Well, as a reminder, you can fuel life's special moments with hard, healthy honey nut Cheerios made with whole grains, low in fat. Cheerios also provides 12 essential vitamins and minerals. So pour your heart into today. It's O. So important. Pick up a box of Honey Nut Cheerios today at your local grocery store. Hambo back with us. Of course, Nuno of the Hashtag Crew. We were just going through the tweets from Buster just a few minutes ago. And if you didn't hear them, here are the latest tweets coming out in regards to the trade deadline, which, of course, is Tuesday at 6 p.m. Eastern time. Uh, Buster uh, says that there has been some speculation in the industry that the Reds might hang on to Luis Castillo, but talent evaluators say this morning that Cincinnati is proceeding as if it is full steam ahead in the process of trading the All-Star, widely viewed as the best available starter. All that tells me right away is the Reds are trying to convey the message, we're not getting a good enough offer. That's right. And and they're going to trade Luis Castillo. I'd be stunned if they don't. Because I can't imagine a team at this point that is going to lowball them when it boils down to it. That feels like when I read something like that, it feels like that's not something that's going to get done till the weekend, at least if not come Tuesday. Right, and because the Reds know as well as I do that if Luis Castillo is still on their club the day after the trade deadline, August 3rd, his value, the return on Luis Castillo declines considerably because yep. you have to wait to trade him until the offseason and then he can affect one pennant race and not two. There is a 100% chance that Luis Castillo is traded. Buster's tweet tells me that teams that want him need to you know, come and pay a pretty penny. And Nuno, with that in mind, as a Yankee fan, you and I were discussing this this morning. Castillo pitched, pitched last night and, by the way, pitched exceptionally well. You don't want to present another situation. If you got to Monday, which would be his next scheduled start on time, you don't want to have him pitching again for the Reds on Monday. They might even hold him back. But why not go and get him now and get as many starts out of him as you can? Especially when I see something like that, Nuno, it makes me think maybe the Yankees need to come correct a bit. Exactly. If he is your guy, if... Brian Cashman and the Yankees organization said this is the guy that can actually put us over the top, that can beat the Astros, because that is the team that you need to be at the end of the day. 
if he's a guy, this deal should be done today. Like he should be pitching for you, uh, you know, your Monday, Tuesday, wherever. Like not wait, not till get the deal done on Tuesday. You're giving up more, and um, he's only pitching on Friday. Like no, like get it done now. Yeah, have to get it done now. The other tweets that come from Buster, Padres seem like the leader for Juan Soto at this point. That lineup, that that top three would just be absolutely absurd. It would be arguably the best we have ever seen, especially when you consider, like we know what, what Manny Machado is. He's halfway yeah. done his career. He's a brilliant player. He might go to the Hall of Fame someday. But Fernando Tatis and Juan Soto have started their careers about as well as any hitters ever have. What I'm going to read for you is the list of players with the best batting lines through the age of 23. Those players are Ted Williams, Albert Pujols, Jimmy Fox, Joe DiMaggio, Mel Ott, Fernando Tatis, and Juan Soto. Yeah. We are talking about inner circle Hall of Fame type players. What we are doing in this thought exercise is pairing Ted Williams and Joe DiMaggio in the same lineup. We are pairing Mel Ott and Jimmy Fox together in the same lineup. This would be an historical decision by the Padres who for the next two and one third seasons would have the most ridiculous, most exciting lineup we have ever seen because those two guys plus Machado equals baseball gold. That would be incredible. There are people out there who are skeptical on Juan Soto because they haven't seen him play enough. And a lot of times we, we talked about this earlier. You can look at someone's statistics and think, well, wait a second, this guy's got to be a really good guy, right? a really good player, but then he turns out to be disappointing. Juan Soto is not that guy. You can go and look at the statistics, and they will tell you the story. And one that I've mentioned on the show, but bears repeating, if you want to know about what kind of plate discipline the guy has and how he understands the strike zone and sees the ball, there are 224 active players with over 1,500 plate appearances. This is from our friends at ESPN Stats and Info. Juan Soto is the only player with 1,500 plate appearances that has more career walks than strikeouts. The only one. He's got over 450 walks and 420 career strikeouts. If this is available to you and you have the resources to get this guy, you absolutely have to do it. And that includes the Yankees. Thanks for listening to Greeny the Podcast. You can listen live each weekday morning at 10 Eastern on ESPN Radio and see it with the video on ESPN+. Also catch Greeny on Get Up weekday mornings at 8 on ESPN and also available wherever you get your podcast.